Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode of the STEMcast podcast. The goal of our podcast is to create an accessible resource for students at all levels of STEM to be mentored by leading professionals and advance their careers. All right, so let's start off with a brief introduction about yourself, Dr. Fraser. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you do, where you work, and your background. Um, sure, yeah. So I am in the um, Mathematics and Statistics Department at the University of Ottawa. Um, I'm also cross-appointed with the School of Computer Science, and I have sort of a mixed background. Um, in originally in pure math, uh, then working in industry, um, so much more applied, um, and then theoretical machine learning. So I kind of do a mixture of my main research focus is mathematical principles of learning, and that can be for biological or machine learning. So I was wondering, uh, what made you choose that certain career pathway, like that job that you currently have? Um, so I guess I got into math before I was really make, making sort of clear choices. It was just, there's a lot of math in my family and I kind of ended up going that route. Um, but I, I increasingly um, wanted more kind of connection to the real world, sort of, <laughs> if I could say it that way. Um, and um, there's, a, you know, there's a whole um, bunch of reasons for different uh, um, forks in the path. But um, Basically, um, I've for a long time uh, been interested about questions like consciousness and um, uh, also um, just what machines can and cannot do. Um, and so I, I worked in high performance computing in industry and that was a really exciting time. I, I also particularly like dialoguing with people who are outside my area. And so this is one thing that I always found difficult in pure math, it's very isolated. It's kind of like a, you know ivory tower and there's very few people in the world who are specialists on a particular topic. Um, and that doesn't really fit my personality. I, I like interfacing with people from different uh, you know, fields. And so um, I've kind of pursued a more and more interdisciplinary path uh, just because uh, I like connecting with people and sharing ideas. So you said that like the field of pure math has been isolated that's kind of how you found it. Do you think it's changed since like over the course of your work um, in that field? Do you think it's changed? Um, well, certainly there are aspects of the field that has changed, but I think that by its very nature, um, pure math requires for solving sort of uh, um, open problems in, in any particular specialization of math, like be it number theory or topology or some kind of analysis, whatever. Um, those, even just formulating and understanding those questions requires an extreme amount of specialization. And um, so for, you know, the progress um, in that form of knowledge, yes, that is essential. It's not necessarily a problem. It's, it's the only way that field could work, really. But um, it, uh, um, and it, that's not to say it's not possible to specialize in that and still make connections with the outside and then Um, but uh, nevertheless, um, it's still true that uh, the impact of some mathematical discovery is typically, you know, encountered maybe a hundred years later, not at the time. And um, very few people in the world will be able to understand the details of a mathematical argument. Yeah, that's uh, extremely true. And now going back to uh, when you talked about uh, consciousness and your interest in it. So 
obviously the brain's a very complex uh, and powerful machine and it's fascinating to see how uh, artificial intelligence somehow uses uh, it as a model. Now, how would you say that neuroscience research being done so closely interlinks uh, with advanced mathematics or artificial intelligence and how these two fields sort of drive each other forward? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. So um, neuroscience, I find a, a very interdisciplinary field um, in general. Um, and that's also been true of sort of the early stages of AI. Um, so in particular in neuroscience, you often meet people whose training is actually in, in theoretical physics, and then they've gone into neuroscience. Um, or a few cases of mathematicians, uh, with a strong, people with a strong math background, not necessarily working as professional mathematicians, but with a strong math training, then going into neuroscience. So, so that, that is not uncommon. Um, and I think that uh, as somebody at this, I was at a conference just this week, um, NASIS, it's a neural and so neuroscience and AI basically um, systems. And um, a, sort of a key figure there was saying that uh, he felt that maybe even new mathematics would need to be discovered in order to describe certain ways in which the brain, is, brain works. And I think that's true. So I think there's, there's definitely um, a lot of people that, uh, um, are participating in that kind of crossover and it's uh um it's part of what's needed to uh push the science forward uh, so in terms of i understand like math how it's like very closely like interlinked with like and just like using it for artificial intelligence and like kind of connecting with neuroscience but was like like once again i feel like pure mathematics can be linked to numerous other um fields in a sense so was there a reason like you kind of drifted away into that uh yeah field? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, in math, math is, um, in some senses, kind of a, a, a point of interface uh, with lots of other fields. It's kind of like a common language in, um, in science. So even though math itself has some, like pure math will have some um, very abstract questions that are really just about the structure of mathematics itself, the way in which you know, mathematics is ultimately used, um, it can happen in all different kinds of fields. So absolutely, there's many ways that, that applying math in the real world could have gone um, and in my case it, it's probably it's like kind of my um, fascination with uh, consciousness and like our real even reality all the things that we do in science in terms of reality it's mediated through our awareness of of that reality somehow so that's just me personally that's always been um, yeah, something I've been very curious about and Awesome. So uh, could you ex please explain uh, what topological data analysis is and how it ties in with machine learning? Sure. Um, so it was only fairly recently that there have been uh, more venues where people are talking about combining topological data analysis and machine learning. And we're, we're, uh, um, it's a field, so TDA, I'll just say for short, uh, is a field that uh, grew up uh, in the 90s, and um, it's a case of using some tools from pure math, in this case, topology. So topology kind of studies uh, a sense of closeness, like, so you can use those tools from topology to describe shapes. And that's sort of shapes that would be like, something is a ring, whether you squeeze it this way or that way, as long as you don't break it, there's some kind of, um, maintained aspect about, uh, you know, let's say a donut, 
you could deform it in lots of ways. And that invariant aspect is uh, the topology of that object. So it's a, it's a kind of a, a way of describing um, properties of shapes that are invariant under uh, deformations and so on. Anyway, and so uh, in, in uh, studying and doing data analysis, often the data that is generated by some natural process, it's, let's say it's in, you know, uh, it's, it's 10 dimensional, so it's in R10. Typically that data doesn't just lie all over R10, it lies concentrated in certain areas that are being produced by your process. So those vectors could be height of a patient, weight of a patient, uh, some sort of measurement in the blood, et cetera, et cetera, and you'd get 10 numbers, that's a vector point in R10. And typically whatever physical process is generating that data, it's, you know, it's not generating points all over R10, just in certain spaces. And they may often be concentrated near some underlying shape. And so that's where the topology comes in. People would like to um, access that shape. Now, how do you do that when you just have a bunch of points? The idea that people got was to consider putting a like, like to, if points are close together, you consider them to be joined. And there are various methods you can do to construct what's known as a simplicial complex in topology. And then that thing actually, you can, you can compute certain numbers that tell you what its shape is, whether these data points are lying close to a sphere or whether they're lying close to a donut, et cetera. That's really, really neat. Um, so in terms of like further on, like with the machine learning topic, in terms of since like your start in research, how have you seen like how has the advancement of machine learning um, impacted your own research, and how, what do you think about it? Yeah, it's um, it's really become um, kind of an, a frenzy in some senses, like uh, everybody wanting uh, AI in some some way, <laughs> and even the term AI, it's a funny sort of thing because originally artificial intelligence, it was you know, cybernetics, and it was a very kind of um, uh, sort of cutting edge research type uh, field that involved physics and, and statistics and, and math and neuroscience and so on. Whereas now the term AI often means just like a smartphone. So it's, it's a very applied version of that. So I would say this is like, there've been dramatic changes of that type. Like AI used to be a kind of a, a rarefied uh, research field and it's become ubiquitous now. But of course it has a different meaning. It's the general public has certain ideas about it and, and knows about robots and uh, androids and so on from movies. Um, but we are heading that direction actually. So um, the field of AI has been machine learning, which is kind of the, the algorithmic underpinning of AI. Um, and that's me using the common usage of those terms now, whereas AI used to be you know, really much more of a, a scientific study. But now using this broad sense of AI, the algorithmic side is called machine learning. And um, because uh, it takes up uh, such an important part in um, daily life, uh, there's also a big role for machine learning. So uh, you said how it takes up a lot of part in our daily life. So would you mind explaining more of its specific impacts in our daily lives that AI might have? Yeah, sure. So 
Um, one thing is AI is being used for data analysis and uh, we are just generating more and more data. So, you know, because we're, we're uh, all using phones and we're sort of uh, internet of things, uh, there's, there's just um, increasingly there's data everywhere. And um, when people try to draw conclusions from data, um, sometimes the methods are, are methods that are coming from machine learning. But just like any uh, way of drawing conclusions, there's the potential for bias in there. And this is also true in AI, but part of the problem is that um, when you fit you know, uh, uh, a line to your data, that's pretty transparent what's going on. You can kind of see that. Um, but some of these um, machine learning methods that are being used, the average person doesn't understand what they are, but they nevertheless can um, involve bias and uh, especially because there's a lot of working parts, <laughs> you know, and how are they set up and how are they drawing the conclusions and so on. So um, basically data is everywhere and often it's being uh, um, utilized by means of AI and that affects everybody. So this has to do with social networks, how the algorithms on social networks are run, how health um, care is provided somehow how um, governments make decisions um, based on polling. And, uh, and then also just like uh, um, what we have access to. So even in science, science it's, AI has changed science dramatically. There's lots of things that are possible in science that are kind of exciting because of these um, improvements in um, data analysis, analysis methods and, uh, and robotics and so on. So um, I think like it's really common, at least within our age and millennials, that AI we see as the next booming area of research or work. And like if you ever ask any computer science student or even someone studying in the sciences, um, they really want to get themselves involved in AI or want to study it a bit, knowing that in the future it would, might potentially be involved in their work. So what do you think of these perspectives and do you agree with them or not? Yeah. Uh... Um, it's definitely, um, you know, it's a case of, it's like a mass movement towards, <laughs> towards AI. And sometimes the numbers are just, uh, astonishing. Like, uh, you know, there'll, there'll be, um, several different specializations in, in a typical computer science department. And in maybe a decade ago, there would be kind of equal numbers of applicants in all the different areas, but now there's going to be something like a hundred times as many applying. I don't know, maybe that's an exaggeration. Maybe it's just 50, but still, it's like just many, many more people wanting to get into AI. So it, um, on the one hand, there are also lots of opportunities in AI, so for jobs and so on. But um, it is a bit uh, of a bubble, perhaps. Um, then again, I, I don't really see a way in which AI is going to be going away anytime soon. So yeah, I'm not exactly sure how, um, how that will uh, evolve and what's a, a kind of healthy way for that to go. I think it will sort of, um, there are differently, sorry, there are definitely different levels. There are some people who are more interested in the engineering side, some people who are more interested in algorithm development, uh, some people who are more interested in the neuroscience side. So I think people will find their niche, but some element of AI will, will probably be involved in a lot of things we do in the next few years. Yeah, for sure. And uh, this path to AI, like you said, it's definitely a mass movement and it can involve many different fields of research, uh, including the sciences, like you mentioned. So 
we know that you've taken quite an unconventional path to reach where you are today. And uh, so uh, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about your journey to how you reached uh, wh where you are today. Um, yeah, so I guess I touched on that uh, uh, briefly. Uh, um, in, in general, there's lots of different uh, forks in the road where kind of different opportunities arise and you take different paths. Um, I definitely originally started in, in, in math just kind of by default. And then as I wanted to connect with people in different uh, areas and also with computing, um, that led me to, to work in industry. Uh, but um, in my case, I chose an academic path because I like working with students. And I, um, um, I think that when people first come into a field, they have a fresh perspective. And that's actually very valuable. And so it, it, there's, there's like, of course, different profiles. There's some people who are very um, thorough in their kind of sense of maintaining a field and you need this and this and this for this field. And this is the kind of training you have to have and et cetera. And I, I have a more unconventional sort of um, outlook on that kind of thing. And I, I'm not, not to say that that's not valuable. I think it's, it's definitely necessary to have people that are upholding kind of um, um, traditions in fields. But I also very much value like the new perspective of people who are coming into something because they're following their curiosity and their intuition. And um, yeah, so I like enabling people to, to access their um, intuition, like what's pushing, what's motivating them and to, uh, to realize it, yeah. So, okay, so with that, in terms of like, how does your typical day look like? So usually like when you're at work, I um, have teaching during several semesters, of course, and that's a bit different now that everything's online. <laughs> um, and so in general, when it's not online, when it's in person, I would you know, go into the university and, and lecture. So there's a certain amount of lesson preparation. There's also kind of planning a course out before the semester gets going and you know, then all the fine tuning as you go along. A lot of time is spent um, in meetings with students. I have quite a few students and um, so I, I meet with them uh, at different frequencies depending on the student and their type of project. Um, but that really takes up uh, a large chunk of my working week. And I have sort of other projects which are, for example, like organizing uh, um, a training program, but also research collaborations. and um those are kind of uh i guess research collaborations are are really fun but they take they, there's not that much time left for them sometimes because of all the other things especially during semester when teaching is not happening that's different uh, those are kind of the ingredients and then how much time goes into each one depends on time management which i should probably improve <laughs> but um, but i'm drawing uh and um and also the time of year whether it's a teaching semester or not yeah, that definitely sounds like a super busy uh, and actually rewarding schedule. So about your field of uh, work and field of research, uh, are there any challenges uh, that you face? Or obviously there are, so maybe you could talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges that you face. Um, okay, so, so I guess challenges research-wise, that's kind of part of the nature of, of research. And so, you know, you're brainstorming with collaborators about 
um, what is it we're really trying to find out here or accomplish and uh, what's uh, holding us back and how can we get around it and so on. And so I love that kind of uh, brainstorming aspect. Um, in, in my profession, um, I think that, uh, so there's kind of a breakneck speed in machine learning, um, probably in academia in general, but especially in machine learning. And I don't think it's healthy personally. So I've taken a bit of a slower path um, that was also uh, necessary um, just because of the time when my children were younger, uh, the time for the family. But um, so I think that's one of the challenges that I, I would like to see um, better um, sort of focus on well-being, uh, healthier kind of uh, pace for research. That's also, I think, necessary to get good research done, actually, this kind of uh, uh, emphasis on getting lots of very short papers out that maybe works for quick um, engineering type uh, um, developments, but um, to have uh, really uh, new perspectives on things, you actually need to think more deeply and take a little bit more time. So I try to do that, but it, I, it is a challenge to get that time. And I, I would like to see that uh, enabled a little bit more <laughs> in the future as the field goes forward. Yeah, no, we I think we completely, I, I was, I was including Melissa, and we completely agree with that, especially machine learning, it's like you said, it's a very fast pace, the research being done on it right now. So like, I'm sure um, just like any other field, you always have to be updated with what's happening around the world and all that, and include that in your research. So um, it's very understandable. So I think we're going to end up off with the last question. So this is something we always ask all our guests. So this is what advice would you give to students, whether they're high school or undergrad, um, aspiring to do research or enter um, a similar field to yourself? So I say trust your, um, your intuition and follow your curiosity and, and just try to honor those as much as possible. And, um, you know, sometimes that involves like uh, studying hard and, and learning tools and ideas that you will need in order to uh, um, bring out your ideas uh, fully. So like I, I really think uh, being true to oneself and uh, um, following one's curiosity is very important in life and in, in research. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely some valuable advice. So uh, unfortunately, it looks like that's all the time we have today uh, for the questions that we wanted to ask you. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Fraser, for taking the time to be here with us today out of your very busy schedule, like we <laughs> talked about. Uh, and thank you so much for supporting our podcast and our audience and giving us all this valuable insight. And for those of you at home, I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of STEMcast and learned a little bit more about machine learning and its various implications and connections with other fields, such as sciences. And we hope to see you again in two weeks for our next episode. Have a great day, everyone.